Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 264th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's been teaching fools at the Wizard School for the better part of a decade. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week? Well, this week we uh, start off with a return to form just by the seat of our pants. Wizards has begun releasing uh, deck data again, at least in some capacity. Uh, we don't have any challenges yet because we, I think the first this list of decks is from today. Um, but it will give us some metagame to talk about in our MTGO metagame we can review. Segment two, our top paper movers. A healthy list this week. Segment uh, including that is our top MTGO movers. Then segment three, our paper cards to watch. Some stuff James and I have our eyes on for the future. And finally, four our segment four part four, the last part, the end game topic of the week: the Strixhaven reveals. Uh, not too much so far, but enough to bite into. So let's hop in here at the top, the MTGO metagame we can review. I mean, I guess it's worth pointing out here that we had two weeks with no deck results from Wizards. Um, so our show two weeks ago must have, I think, was catching the very end of the data that was out there or something like that. Then our episode last week, there was like one errant event where the results were, the, the list had been posted specifically, I think, right? And we got those from there. So this week we were set up to have no results, but then they just started posting them again. And as far as I know, they didn't tell us what was going on there, right? You didn't, you didn't hear all that? I, I didn't hear anything. Somebody had pointed out to me on Twitter that they thought they had announced they were going to get rid of the list entirely. And so we had been operating on that principle and in fact had a little bitch fest about it two weeks ago. Um, and yet here they are back posting lists. So... Who, who knows what that's about, but I'm happier to have them than not have them, so I'm not going to look that particular gift dragon in the mouth. <laughs> gift dragon? Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, not big, there's so, not very many horse cards in Magic the Gathering. This is true. There's, uh, what was that, that jumpstart one, right? The oh, yeah. Or something. Is, or is it, yeah, but is a, is that a unicorn? I feel like it's a unicorn. Mm, I don't know. Are cards typed? Yeah, cards are typed by horse. Uh, so there's Crested Sun Mare back in Amon Cat. That's a good one for yeah. life gain decks. Most of these are coming out of Portal, it seems like. <laughs> Sounds uh, about right. Portal Three Kingdoms, probably, where they have fact, that, horsemanship. Yes, that might have been the last. Oh, but I, I searched on rules text for horse, not type. I don't remember the type search. Uh, but I, yes, there was a horse in that Jumpstart product, I thought. Because aren't unicorns horses? I, I mean, 
they're fantasy creatures, so I'm not well, sure if I anybody's done any think... biological analysis, but <laughs> they are they, different different creatures. They are. They are I mean, different. I mean, creatures. is a zebra a horse? <laughs> well, I mean, is a zebra horse? No. Is a zebra horse in Wizards rules text? Maybe, but unicorns are not. They are their own creature type. Yeah. Uh, in right. any case, we got a bunch of five O lists here. Um, one of the interesting ones off the top of the list here is uh, Naya Stoneblade list. Three Renin Sixes, three Season Pyromancers, some Stoneforge Mystics, some Goyf. Uh, no shortage of decks, um, deck strategies, colors that really are just essentially a pile of very powerful cards. Like j- basically, Jund has ex- branched into every shard and wedge at this point. This is Naya, like, last decade All-Stars. You got two Voice of Resurgence in here. Batterskull, sort of Feast and Famine, sort of Fire and Ice as the uh, equipment package for the Stormforge Mystics. You got a Chandra Torch of Defiance, three Renin Six, as you said, four Bloodbraid Elf, two Bonecrusher Giant, Birds of Paradise, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix, and Path to Exile. Like, this is the deck you build if you just love Naya and you want it to work. Yeah. It's, uh... Just it, it really, I, I think I think Jund in Naya colors is, is close to the a good description. One of the more interesting sideboard cards here: Arasta of the Endless Web, three five legendary enchantment creature, Spider, two and two green with Reach. Whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, create a one two green Spider creature token with Reach. This could almost say Magecraft. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what they are <laughs> targeting with this. If it's the prowess decks, seems it seems a little slow for the really fast decks. Yeah, and and the blue decks can just counter it. So yeah, I could. I mean, you could see bringing this in against some deck that goes off and and combos with um, like uh, empty the warrens. But I only see one deck in this 5-0 grouping that has emptied the Warrens. So an odd choice if that's your goal. Now there was also a black-white Stoneblade deck. This was two Gideon Ally of Zendikar, four Liliana of the Veil, four Skyclave Apparition, four Stoneforge Mystic, a Collective Brutality, four Inquisition of Kozilek, three Lingering Souls, three Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, one Kaya's Guile, three Path to Exile, and the same three pieces of equipment. And if the other one was Naya 10-year All-Stars, this is totally the Orzov 10-year All-Stars right here. Yeah, nothing terribly... Remarkable here, I don't think. Uh, just a pretty familiar list of a bunch of good black and white cards, basically. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't squeeze Bitter Blossom in here to slap swords onto. Yeah, Bitter Blossom overall shows up less than you might have anticipated it to. Yeah, I guess they, they have the Lingering Souls playing that role in this deck instead. Yeah. And there's also the tokens that come into play off Gideon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they have tools... Stuff to put the equipment on, I guess. Um, a uh, green-red Planeswalker combo. Uh, for Chandra's, for... Oh, what is KGC? Karn the Great Creator. Great Creator, for, that's what that is. For Luca Coppercoat Outcast. Three Nahiri the Harbinger. Four Arbor Elf. Four Birds of Paradise. Two Emrakul. Two, four Noble Hierarch. Three Blood Moon. Four Oath of Nyssa. Four Utopia Sprawl. So you ramp, ramp, ramp. You drop a Blood Moon to give yourself time as necessary. 
and then you're dropping either Luka or Nahiri, and then getting getting rid of one of your small creatures via Luka, or just getting up to eight loyalty with Nahiri, and then going to search up Emrakul and drop it into play. Yeah, this is uh, doing absolutely nothing that's not putting Planeswalkers into play. Um, it's, you have the Blood Moon is basically it. This is just trying to ideally turn to a Planeswalker, maybe definitely turn three yeah a four uh, a four mana or five mana planeswalker notably like all of these there's 12 four mana planeswalkers and four or five mana planeswalkers in this deck yeah i mean your minus two on the luka isn't even that great because you can luka away your you know birds or something but you're probably much more likely to hit another birds or an no 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 because the minus two on luka has to be higher casting cost so with all the birds, oh, yeah. Oh, so, so the Arbor Elf birds and Hierarch are twelve one drops, and the only other thing above it is Emrakul. Oh. So, so you always hit Emrakul off the off the minus two on Luca here. Okay, the font on the Wizards page is very yeah, small, small, and I yeah, it's grazed over that term. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. I like this a little bit more than I did then because now that's like a legitimate tool. I mean, you're never gonna hit him before turn three. Um, but that's still pretty cool. I don't know how this deck beats hands that have fatal push and uh, something that can kill a planeswalker. <laughs> but outside just of that, hope they're too slow. Yeah, and you hope you drop your blood moon and mess with their mana enough to make them make the tough decisions. This the interesting thing here though is the Karn Great Creator premise is a whole entirely different angle of attack because KGC goes and gets like liquid metal coating or whatever out of the sideboard. And you start destroying your opponent's lands. Right. Which is what people had talked about with this. You know, that's kind of one of the tools people were were using him for in the past as well. So they've got a whole package of options to go snatch with him out of the board. And then there's also a Madcap Experiment uh, Platinum Imperion <laughs> combo, four-card combo stuffed into the sideboard for them to pull in in case people pivot to go after the Planeswalkers or whatever. Yeah, there's some odd choices in here. What is Sky Sovereign Consult Flagship doing in here? I'm not going to pretend to know where that comes into play. I have no idea, to be honest. Because you have to... It crews off... It has a crew three. Yeah. Like, you can get it with Karn... Okay, but why? Why do I want Skyship with Karn? Please tell me. Amusingly enough, you can get you can get Platinum Empyrean with Karn too. Well, I mean, so it, does, only... it deals three damage to something when it comes into play. So that, yeah. that's not the cra- the craziest, but yeah, I mean, the, one of those situations where I would love to interview the deck builder to like, <laughs> understand you're... why that was the one thing they felt they needed here. You're not. Acti- playing Karn and activating his minus two to go get Sky Sovereign and paying five for that just to bolt something, right? Like that's that's not what you're gonna do. Especially when you're in red and could have just bolted something, <laughs> right? Right. It's gotta be something else. I do think the ability to Karn and get Platinum Empyrean is kind of amusing, uh, especially in a deck that makes this much mana, because you know, game one, you essentially get access to your sideboard plan if you need it. Yep. Potentially. 
All right, so that was nifty. Uh, a green black elf stack with some Ar Arch Druid, Elvish Warmaster, that Realm Walker, and then some Collected Companies. Realm Walker, I'm a little surprised to see here. We the interesting thing here is we saw this deck back when Shaman of the Pack showed up, and I believe it was Magic Origins, if I'm not mistaken. Something like um, that. And because all of a sudden you had a drain effect in elves uh, that made things a little more interesting. But there's a the reason I flag this one is because there's so many new cards in play here. Elvish Archdruid is out of the Kaldheim Commander decks. That's a 2-2 two, two for 3 that gives other elf creatures you control plus 1 plus 1 and taps for green equal to how many elves you control. And then you have... Elvish Warmaster at a Kaldheim itself, which is the 2-2. Whenever one or more other elves enter the battlefield, you get another 1-1 green elf warrior. And then it has an overrun effect on 7 mana if you get that far. Um, and then you got three Realm Walkers, as you said, which is the Changeling 2-3 that lets you look at the top of your library. And if it's an elf, you can cast. Now that's pretty powerful when you have 38 elves mm -hmm. and four Coco and that's it. Everything else is land. So entirely two-thirds of their deck is an elf. So two out of every three turns, they're getting a free free pass off the Realm Walker. Yeah, and it's actually not even two out of three turns. It's two out of three cards. Yeah. Because you could have turns where you just... Snowball. Yeah, fire it off. You know, if you, if you untap on turn four and there's a little bit of breathing room in the game and you already have, for instance, a um, an Arch Druid in play... You know, play a, you know, you get a string of like five creatures on top, one drop, one drop, one drop, tap your arch druid now for five or six mana, play another two or three creatures. You know, you can basically double your board presence on turn four if you get a good string. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so the other one that jumped out at me was this Marju Reanimator deck. Um, you know, we've seen versions in the past that were dealing, you know, Gorio's Vengeance decks with things like Grizzlebrand. And those eight cards are here. But it gets more interesting. There's two Egon, God of Death, out of Kale Time. This is the 6-6 Death Touch at the beginning of your upkeep. Exile two cards from your graveyard, and if you can't, sacrifice Egon. I don't think that's what you're using it here for. I think you want the other side that you pay, play for one black, and then you get to mill every turn to keep dropping stuff into the graveyard. Almost certainly, I would imagine. Uh... But if you get deep enough in the game, the second copy of Egon could come down as a 6-6 Death Toucher for three. There are worse things. Yeah, I mean, if you've if you've put some cards in your graveyard and you now have like a you know 10 or 15 card graveyard um, because you've been trying to fill it for some reanimator shenanigans, Egon becomes a 3 mana 6-6 Death Touch, which isn't stellar, but um, it's kind of crazy that I'm saying that. Like, it's not, it's, it's not what you're looking for mid or mid or late game for the most part. Uh, but I have played a bunch of reanimator decks and sometimes you get into goofy situations where all you really need is a creature that does something to either get in the way of your opponent to buy you a turn or two or put some pressure on because they're stumbling too. Um, and being able to play a three on a six, six that touches is fine enough in some games. Yeah, I like the Magmatic Channeler here too, synergizing with the goal of dumping into your graveyard, which also turns into a, you know, two mana four four. Yeah, that's then gets to also help you dump good cards in your hand into your graveyard. It's real sexy because you could be dropping Gristlebrand into the yard to draw into the Vengeance to put him into play. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. And then you've also got Merchant of the Veil, the patron saint of uh, pro traders. 
and four Obzadot Ghost Council. Uh, oh, sorry, what? Merchant of the Vale <laughs> is our is our mascot of sorts. I I apparently miss that. Well, I mean, you miss a lot in the Discord because you don't really hang out there. <laughs> is that just because they like the idea of him being a merchant? No, it's because I like the idea of Merchant of the Vale being like looking like a shady MTG finance character. Gotcha. Like look okay. look look at the art. <laughs> the dude looks so shady. Not, does not scream trustworthy. <laughs> no. Uh, and then Obzadot Ghost Council. Um, this is a blast from the past. One double white, double black, five five le- legendary creature spirit advisor. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. At the beginning of your end step, you can exile it. If you do, you return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. I think the cute thing here is that the vengeance trigger you can stack it against the uh, flicker trigger. Yeah, it looks like that's probably true, right? If you Gorios Vengeance and Obzadat, you get to keep it. Yeah, you can. So, that's that's cute. But there's even more cuteness here. I've never seen this before. Two footsteps of the Gorio to go with the Gorio's Vengeance. If you played back in Kamigawa Block way back in the day, you may recall that there was a, a mechanic called Splice Onto Arcane, and there was only really one deck that ever made good use of it. It was like a Jeskai uh, uh, Splice deck that where all the Splice costs were really low, and eventually you just decked your opponent. I have it built in my deck collection across the room, so I thought of it immediately when I saw this. But this is Footsteps of the Gorio is two and a black Arcane Sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to play. Sack that creature at the end of turn. Okay, fine. Gorio's Vengeance can splice onto an arcane card for two and a black. So if you have Gorio's Vengeance in your hand, you can cast Footsteps of the Gorio, return two creatures, and keep the Vengeance in your hand for five mana. Uh, I I have to imagine that doesn't come up all that often. Terribly often. <laughs> but they they liked it enough to put, put the combo in the deck. Yeah, I mean... The thing is, is footsteps of the Gorio can work here. Um, you know, you can play Gristlebrand and then just get to draw seven cards. Like a footsteps doesn't let you attack this turn. That's that's the the hook, um, and the reason it's worse than Gorio's Vengeance. But you can put Gristlebrands into play to draw seven cards, um, and you can put Obsidats into play to sack the trigger and get paid off uh, and get to keep it. So like, it's not terrible on its own. So, anyway, interesting deck there. Moving right along to Top Paper Movers. So, so much action this week. So much going on. First thing to cover is that the Time Spiral remastered set release. There was some debate amongst various portions of the MTG Finance and Vendor community as to whether Time Spiral remastered was going to be a bait and switch or not. People were... Uh, on record as saying they thought that the EV of the set was going to be absolutely terrible, that the prices were going to crash across the board, that the time-shifted cards were going to crash super hard, and there were doubts as to when you should be buying in on the foils. But the thing is, we ran the math pretty early on the time-shifted foils, and they look very rare indeed. Like We I, we figure there are something like mid-single-digit thousands of each of them, because you only hit one in every 27 boxes. So it takes about 90 boxes to get through the 121 equally likely uh, shots off that sheet. Because there are 121 time-shifted cards. And so they're all the same rarity. You have to get through 90 boxes to find a set. 
And we figure that there is probably, that this is, you know, tens of millions of dollar project for Wizards in terms of money they got paid by distributors to put the product out into the market. So that means that there is probably something like two, three, four, maybe 5,000 of any given time-shifted foil. And the market's bearing that out. There really aren't, were never that many on TCG Player this weekend during the opening release. And they started to dry up almost immediately. And as soon as that process kicked off, it became a snowball. Overseas in Japan, Japanese copies dried up very, very, very quickly. Because whatever the print run is of English, the print run of the other languages they printed here is extremely low. And it's it's actually quite strange that they printed this set in a bunch of different languages, because it's the perfect set to not do that with. Keep in mind that for things like collector booster boxes, as recently as Caldheim last month, we got them in English, French, German, and Japanese. And... With Modern Horizons 1, it was a big deal that it was available in Russian because those Russian foils are real pricey Mm -hmm. and only likely to get more so over time. So with Time Spiral being reprinted in a whole bunch of languages, including French and German and Russian, and yet the Russian boxes have not hit market yet. And so in the interim... The English boxes went from, in our group buys, they were around 150 a box, so like 900 a case for six. And our pro traders have already been flipping them for basically a double up. People, Multiple people reported in the Discord today that they sold cases they got from us for $1,800 or so, minus shipping and fees and whatever. You're still clearing $700 a case. I'd like to remind you that pro trader is less than $100 a year. <laughs> Inexpensive. Inexpensive Com- versus potential. Yeah. So... Time Spiral Remastered boxes have basically doubled. There is, we have every expectation that Amazon is going to have a whole bunch of them at some point along the way here, but they're not super cheap on Amazon right now. And it's even if they pop up in a few weeks on Amazon at a, at a relatively cheap price, say close to 200 or something, they're just going to get swallowed whole by vendors, bots, and speculators and players that are that catch the news quick enough. Because the same thing happened last week with Commander Legends single packs and Commander Legends collector booster boxes that showed up at 200 bucks a box, and people bought literally thousands of them, but they didn't show up anywhere else in the market, so those boxes just got swallowed and flipped at market rates. Because if you only restock through a single channel, then that channel just gets cleaned out and people get a fat margin facing the rest of the market. <laughs> So uh, I would suspect that even if Time Spiral Remastered shows up on Amazon sometime in the next month or two, it's going to be the same scenario. Like word will be out on Pro Trader and wherever else people are paying attention, and people will swoop in and pick off tons of inventory, and then it'll be gone. I have heard word that there will be some restocking through distribution somewhere within eight weeks on Time Spiral Remastered, but not at high volume. So. The word on the street is that this is still a single print run set. Um, those time-shifted foil cards are to the moon. Like, I think somebody reported that a foil Thoughtseize time-shifted sold for 800 already on TCG. <laughs> so that's basically the next uh, Jeweled Lotus. Yeah, that is... Man, it, that you 
really wonder if you're supposed to just go buy any like $600 copies you find. Yeah. Because that, that's what you're supposed you, you to You really do. should. Because I got, I got my package in from uh, US Arbitrage the other, the other day and had like 120 packages to plow through and process. And there were a lot of gems in there from the last couple months because things have been so crazy. Like there were seven copies of Phyrexian Vorinclex that I picked up under 200. That's a pretty tasty treat right there. Yep. The <laughs> cracked a German box of Commander. I, well, it started with a box, but it did went so well that I cracked the rest of the case. Uh, of German Commander Legends collector booster boxes, pulled a Jeweled Lotus and foil extended art for the second time. That's in one per case out of the two cases I've cracked. <laughs> and in the last box in the case, pulled a foil uh, Jeweled Lotus regular. So, and looking at the prices from all that stuff, things are going going pretty well from that set. If you look at Zendikar uh, collector booster boxes, we're going to talk about various cards that are there in in this cards to watch list because despite people acknowledging that there is a probably about a 25% higher print run on those than there were from most collector booster boxes, lots of key cards from the expeditions are already under pressure and it's been less than six months. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a wild product. This, this weekend was nuts for... For the times probably remastered cards um certainly very clear that uh there was not a significant amount of supply at all um when you got to figure that the stimulus checks being in hand not too long ago <laughs> leading into this really helps clean out the high end of that of that portion of the the product base as well i did see a tiktok where a guy spent his entire stimulus checks on scratch off tickets so the idea <laughs> that people would spend a lot of money on these cards is uh, pretty understandable. When you consider how much pe- money people throw away in casinos and scratch tickets and sports betting and so forth, and compare it to what they could be doing in the collectibles market, it's pretty amusing. It, it, it you know, it, this is one of those lessons that I learn uh, every few weeks or what have you, and yet never quite seem to remember that just because I think something is a foolish economic decision it doesn't mean there aren't people who don't uh and they continue to do crazy things that i can't wrap my head around but they still do them spending eight hundred dollars for a foil old border reprint you know essentially reprinted foil thoughtsies is one of those things um but people do it and somebody paid six hundred dollars for uh a Silver Queen from me. Oh yeah, congrats yes, on that. Yesterday, which, and I'm not like, oh, look at me. It's more just like, damn, I don't know what my life looks like that I'm spending $600 on a Silver Queen, but people are doing it. Well, here's the thing. I sold one at 380 and felt good because my, yeah. my in on that was like 74 or something. Yep. A couple but years last, ago. On this week's, on last week's show, I'm like, I sold it for 300 That's crazy. I paid 70 bucks for it. And now here I am a week later having doubled that. But I stated I stated a couple times in the Discord this week that I think Sliver Queen's a future thousand dollar card. Yeah, I mean after after that after what happened here, I think that's probably correct. And I and I was wondering that when I was listing it, like when I was putting it for the six hundred, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I will basically regret this later on. And I don't regret it, but I do think that it it could be a thousand or even fifteen hundred dollar card in 
another two or three years. Let's put it this way. I've started going through all those what used to be mid-tier reserve list cards. And anything that looks gradable, I've put aside into the long-term box. So I, I, I pulled out... I had maybe 14 Sliver Queens heading into all this madness. Japanese and English combined. A couple of different uh, conditions. And I've sold through about half of it so far. I found the, the very best English one that I had on hand and put that aside. Because it looks like it probably grades at least a 9. And figure somewhere down the road that's just going to be a card you want to have in a slab. Mm-hmm. It's... I, I, when I went through my box of um, random bulk like two weeks ago, I pulled out a debt of loyalty. Uh, debt of loyalty. You, you may not be, you probably, you might not be aware of what this card does, which is very understandable. It's a three mana instant white card, um, regenerate target creature, and then gain control of it. So, you know, you wrath the board, and then, you know, you, you regenerate your opponent's creature, and you steal it, and you have the only thing left. Uh, just not actually wrath because that prevents regeneration. A card that like whatever, and really not that. It's fine, not great, uh, but it's on the reserve list. I sold them for forty dollars. I was like, and when I was pulling it out of the bulk, I'm like, should I even list this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem that good, but it's reserve list. Like, maybe I shouldn't, but I did. And then forty bucks. So at this point, I I have basically just un I stopped listing a lot of the reserve list stuff I have because I was like, well, why bother? You might as well wait. Let's put it this way. If you have deep, relatively deep inventory, like I'm, I don't know, 1,000 cards back listing inventory, I'm certainly not prioritizing freshly listing a Yavimaya Hollow over whatever foil extended art I have from last year that needs posting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Because <clears throat> even if that stuff does catch a retrace post-COVID, I'm not convinced we're all that close to post-COVID for one. <laughs> and... If I have to hold the remaining 20% of reserveless inventory into another spike two years from now, that's not the end of the world. Right. Reserve list is essentially the, there's, there's no, I really can't fault anyone for holding reserve list cards. Like I can't fault you for selling them, but it's also like, Hey, if you don't want to sell it and you just want to hang on, sure. I, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that's a bad idea. All right. So let's stop in, jump into these top paper movers. This first card uh, flagged because I just dropped a best ideas note. One of the things we do in the Discord is staff have access to our best ideas section and can post, um, you know, best ideas. The stuff that we think is going to be the most productive. Uh, often it's specs, but it's also other things. Can be techniques, um, can, can be ideas in terms of how to handle inventory, can be cute ways of tracking data online, whatever have you. And... Taking a close look at the Zendikar Rising Allied fetches last week, and then branching off from there, realized that others of the Zendikar expeditions from last fall are also under pressure, including the Battle Bond uh, Dual Lands. Um, I think I called Morphic Pool probably on cast somewhere in the fall. I don't remember what the target was, but I'm pretty sure we're about to hit it because it seems like it's headed like a rocket ship for 80 or 90 bucks. And Luxury Suites up from 28 to 45 this week. It's also headed uphill. You can still pick up copies of both of these over in Europe on Magic Card Market. In fact, I just bid off like $700 worth of them. Uh, I think Sea of Clouds and Luxury Suite was most of that cart. Um, because 
the the only real risk here is that deep uh, crack job operations like the gaming company on TCG Player could still access Zendikar Rising uh, collector boosters in the distribution pipeline for relatively cheap. Uh, I know for a fact we were being offered those as early as recently as a month ago at pretty good prices. They're starting to look more and more attractive, especially if you can get them sub 200 somewhere. Remember, you you average two non-foil and two foil expeditions. And at November pricing, that was eh. But with where those expeditions are headed and how narrow a class of cards it is compared to something like the time-shifted cards where you can open a time spiral thing and you can get a Thoughtseize or you could get a whatever ran- Squire, I guess, is on that list. <laughs> I don't know. I think Squire was actually on the original time shifted sheet, but there there is an equivalent on this one. I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah, Z- Zenikar Rising collector booster boxes are looking better and better. Um, keep an eye on the Battle Bond ones for sure. We're also going to see Cavern of Souls. Uh, I've got it as Cavern of the Dead here, but it's supposed to read Cavern of Souls. Went from 112 to about 180 this week. Same kind of thing. Super staple. Zendikar Rising Expedition, people notice that it's draining out. They go ahead and get their copies before they don't have time. Speculators pick up copies to sell next year, etc., etc. Uh, Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, sold a Korean one the other day, and immediately I knew, looking at, at the sale result, I was like, ah, I must have missed a price jump. Sure enough, from 55 to 84, no reprints on this card since Battle for Zendikar, and that was five years ago. Yeah, this card is surprisingly uh, old. You would you might have expected by now this would have popped up in some ancillary product or something or other somewhere, but no, it main t- remains basically only battle for Zenikar. So a healthy price tag there of uh, of eighty five dollars now, and you know there might be a mild retrace here, but I bet you this is going to hold that pretty good. Eldrazi have a, a history of holding high price tags. In the fifty to hundred dollar range, if they don't catch a reprint, yep, sure do. Anyone remember the original Kozlak? I think hit a hundred dollars for a little while before he eventually got reprinted in Modern Masters two. I feel like I sold a, a Kozlak for a good price recently too. Yeah, you might have because now at this point, I think the last time it was printed was Modern Masters two, which is also a good uh, a good chunk of time back now. All right, so moving right along, we got Bloodgast out of Secret Lair, going from 17 to 27. Seeing a lot of Secret Lair stuff setting up well. Uh, really regretting missing two of the Secret Lair <laughs> events recently, where I was like, yeah, I mean, I want these, but I don't want to give them my money on day one if they're going to leave it open for a week or a month. I'll just give it to them at the end, and then I completely forget about it because I move on to 20 other things. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I, I don't, I don't, I think the... Only secret layer that I actually purchased was Women's Day. I don't I, I don't remember what set that one aside. I just was in the right happened to be sitting there and figured I would. Um, but we, we really need to make a point of going through and looking all these up because I want to, I'm very curious now if any of them are bad. There are. There are some that are basically stalled out that are you know, maybe they're up eight bucks, but you make nothing after fees and shipping, etc. Um but we need the, we need to see the the ratio. The major I would say two thirds of them are setting up to do very well within a year of release. Yeah, and I mean if that's the case, I mean maybe you're maybe we need the I need to shift gears and just throw you know 
$500 at every single one because the one that stalls out at 500 is not a huge deal. Yeah. When the every single one of them is going to go to 1500 in a year. It's also funny because when the when these were originally announced and the premise was understood, everybody was like, they're going to do these all the time. They're going to ruin magic. There's going to be too much premium. The market will never absorb it. <laughs> That's really quaint. Now, there are like seven or eight different ways they shove premium cards in our face all the time, and the market continues to absorb them. And, yeah. and they're getting smarter about it, right? Like making these time-shifted cards about as rare as, as beta rares or whatever is pretty smart collectibles management because the reprints that are in the set there's enough copies entering the market that that will temper their prices to some extent the really good ones like damnation and the sliver and so forth will don't look like they're going to drop all that much and will rebound relatively quickly but they're justifying the they want us to pay 200 a box, not 100 a box. That's the signal they've been sending for a couple of years now. Collector boosters are about that. VIP booster packs were about that. Putting Modern Horizons at a CBs at a $400 plus price point is them exploring whether they can push that even further. And the way that you justify that is with scarcity. Make sure that there are that you don't do what you did in the VIPs where the every $100 pack has two of those cards and then dump all of them on the market in the same couple of weeks. Do what they're doing with High Spell Remastered where you have almost immediate hype. Like I posted a thing into our Discord last week before the release when I was like, "Are will the time-shifted foils uh, on average, be worth more than a 7th edition foil? And I think overwhelmingly the response was no or something. Not not or something. The overwhelming response was no. And I think they're wrong. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that time-shifted foils are going to be a bigger deal than 7th edition foils. I think there will be more people that are interested in finishing that set. And that the play sets have of key that there are more key cards involved and that the play sets of those cards are going to be even more pricey than they are for many seventh edition foils. And that especially when you consider the context of how long it took for seventh edition foils to really actually get there. It's been a, like 15 years or whatever. Whereas I think time shifted foil, like a set of the foil thought seizes will be basically impossible to get your hands on by next year. I mean, to, in, in all fairness, that sounds almost like a trick question because then you have to go, you go, okay, well, okay, wait, hold on. What cards are printed in the, in the old border time spiral? What, what are my options here? Like, I don't remember, are there, if they're all good, if some of them are good, if only one's good. And then you're like, okay, what was in seventh edition? How many cards were in seventh edition? How many of them were actually good? Like, like yeah. better than garbage. So you're kind of like, you know, to answer that question, you got to... Most of 7th edition is you garbage. Need, you need some details. There's maybe 30, 40 card, relevant cards in 7th edition. And I would say a higher percentage of the time-shifted sheet is relevant to major formats in Magic. Yeah, I mean, almost certainly. And by design, right? Like, it shouldn't be surprising that the set that came out this weekend is has more relevant cards in it than 7th edition, which is older than the child of everyone listening to this podcast. Well, and one of the group buys we ran last week was, <laughs> was pretty high end itself. 
a full foil set of the time shifted cards for four thousand dollars. We right. had we had ten sets. It sold out. Those are looking like very good buys indeed. What do we know? What the the value is on that right now? It's pushing fifty five hundred. I would imagine. Hmm. And and headed upward. Right. Well, what's not the. And somebody also told me this week that there that there might be as few as twelve to fifteen hundred boxes of um, Russian Times Bio remastered. <laughs> We're trying to get a group buy together on those. That's going to be a pretty interesting final negotiation when the English boxes have already spiked to three hundred, and the Russian boxes are maybe some of the rarest product in Magic history. Yeah, I mean, fifteen hundred boxes. Like, what? So, what is there less of? So, I ran, I ran the math on that, and let's say that they are wrong by a factor of ten, and that there's fifteen thousand boxes. You're still talking about there only being something like five to ten playsets of the foil Russian Thoughtseizes in the world, and if they're right, there's like four playsets. <laughs> like th- so a that- russian foil old border thought sees is basically possibly something like uh 20 times rarer than alpha black lotuses no well, alpha well, black lotus there's, uh, there's a 1100 of those well yeah it could it could be completely ridiculous like it could be a hundred times more rare than those yes the the thing is that it, you have to start looking at those then as a collector item only because it might be true that it's just physically impossible to get four of them. Like, I don't think any, like, even the most, you know, some Hollywood producer that makes three million a year or something and happens to play Legacy <laughs> still is going to have trouble throwing enough, like, money in the right directions to get the four foil Russian Thoughtseize as they want to finish their deck because I'm not sure that they're even going to be available. Yeah, even at the, you know, 40 copies, that's a real small number of cards. I mean, Wizards does those, like, occasionally those super rare promo cards that most people don't even know about. You know, the Robot Chicken one uh, stands out in memory just because I remember seeing it. Um, and there's, like, you know, eight of those. But I, you, I couldn't even tell you what any of that stuff sells for because if it changes hands, it's all private market. And who knows? Right. Like, and as is, like anything like that, you expect something like 90% absorption rate. So if there are, let's say that there, for argument's sake, is 2,500 Russian boxes, you'd expect that only 250 to 300 will be floating around in the market. The rest will be absorbed, put into collections, cracked. Cards will disappear into collections. <laughs> Even if we had 100 cases, right, that's 600 boxes. You need 90 boxes just to find a full set of the foil time shifted. So at 540 boxes, you'd, you would have <coughs> six play sets amongst all of them, like amongst all of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and that would be assuming we could get our hands on a third of the entire market, which seems very unlikely. So I'm expecting to get a very low allocation, if at all. And it's entirely possible that somebody will just offer the Eastern Bloc vendors an obscene amount of money to corner the market on those things, and they'll end up being $5,000 boxes in short order. Who knows? That, that, that is kind of funny. It makes me wonder 
If you checked, I just had a curiosity. Did you look for them on MKM? Can you find them? They're not up there yet. No. Because the Russian product hasn't landed. Like, to get, yeah. to get an... First of all, Russian product doesn't end... Sealed product doesn't end up on MKM much. Because Russia isn't part of the EU. So... Their their like their product is supposed to stay in Russia and only get sold secondhand and then exported. I see. I didn't really think about that. Can you imagine if there was po- like whatever lang? I I guess Russian doesn't really translate to the Pokemon scene because they wouldn't prioritize it. But let's say that Pokemon players valued Russian foils as much as as we do in Magic, and that Pokemon put out some strange language of that at a at a at that low of a production rate. And for Pokemon, let's say just for the sake of Pokemon being a much bigger thing, let's say instead of 1500 boxes, there's 15,000. That would still be so, so little for what would happen. <laughs> what would happen to the, that product if they created regionalized Pokemon like that? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, Logan Paul would be auctioning off the right to, you know, kiss the plastic case that his card was in well and keep in mind this is also even in the main set you have some sick pulls okay tarmogoyf isn't what it once was but you pull a foil russian tarmogoyf you're not going to be sad about it and and the last the only the first time it was printed could you ever do that because the master sets never came out in russian Mm -hmm. so there's only one foil russian goyf so far uh, until now uh, yeah future site would have been too early for russian i think no future site had russian i think there's foil russian goyfs from future uh, site let's see tarmogoyf scryfall is running slowly so I but again that's a many thousands of dollars card uh yes it does exist and my and my point being exists. that that's not time shifted that's just bonus potential action in your box I and mean, you can get foil russian damnation and get foil russian uh sliver legion is that what's in there uh, I think so. Yeah, because I've been selling a bunch of Judge Foil Sliver Legions lately. There's, this is why I always think it's funny. One of the most frequent topics of discussion in the Discord is, and in MTG Finance in general, is, oh no, there's a new premium version of a thing coming. Oh, you better get out of your old premium version of the thing. And I've been trying to hammer home the point over the last few months that this is not necessarily the case. Sliver Legions reprinted in Times Spiral Remastered. I sold five Judge Foils this month at a ridiculous profit level. Sometimes just people talking about a card puts it on people's radar. And they start looking up their available options. And they might have been looking for the Time Spiral version, but then they see the Judge version and they're like, oh, that's even more premium. I'm getting that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or there's yeah, or there's I... a new Soul Ring and they go back and go, you know what, though? There's only three inventions left on... On TCG, I should just give Travis $2,000 and buy his. Yeah, it seems like a very good idea. Uh, you know, we we all want tend to think like, oh, there's going to be essentially a limit. Um, you know, that uh, they, these new versions are going to start pushing down the old ones or, or you know, or, or slowing down the growth, what have you. And like that may be true at some, like it's possible, like in some scenarios that's going to be the case, but it seems overwhelmingly like for the most part, it is not the case. Well, I mean, some, for instance, somebody said to me on Twitter yesterday, I guess, or somewhere on the weekend, they were talking about the, how they were disappointed that the foil thought borderless, um, had not stayed high after the spike when they were initially being exported to Japan in the fall. 
and that it had seen a fairly significant retrace and seemed to be wallowing. But I took a look at the like size of the product wall, like the inventory wall on TCG and the ramp that's building. Keep in mind, this product only came out six months ago. It looks completely fine. The, the I'm sorry, the which card? Foil Borderless Thoughtseize from Double oh, Masters yeah, VIP Double Packs. Masters. Oh, yeah. He messaged us today, right? Was w- that on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was red hot out the gate. People were scooping them up and sending them off to Japan. And Japan still has them posted at like 75 US when you can get them in the 40s and in the US. So once modern play resumes, Thoughtseize is just are just going to be under pressure across the board because they just gave it to us in Time Spiral Remastered, but that wasn't a significant reprint. Yes, there was a bunch of product put out through Double Masters as well, so that got two printings within a year. But it's a card that... Is a, it's an S-tier staple. You need four of it if you want to play modern. So mm-hmm. those borderless foils, should you sell them? You should sell them if you've got a better thing to accelerate into. That's always the answer. But should you be worried if you are kind of lackadaisical and you, you're going to leave them on the shelf? Like, are they going to keep going down? No. They're, they're going to slowly, steadily go up, and you're going to blink one day. And 18 months out, we're going to be talking about how they're $100 plus because there's none left on TCG Player. Yeah, it is, it is pretty uncommon that you, I find myself <clears throat> regretting I didn't sell a card versus being glad that I didn't. You know, I regret that I didn't sell a card when like I found uh, a four foil Clark Clan Ironworks a little while ago. I was like, oh, well, that's a shame because uh, those were red hot back when they were the shit in modern and then got banned and like you know the prices dropped the demand has fallen through the floor so uh they're just not gonna move like they used to but like that happens so much more fr- rarely than me finding a card and going oh i'm glad i didn't find this sooner because if i found it before i would have sold it for like eight bucks and now i get to sell it for 45 somebody else complained a little while back I think we touched on it in an earlier cast about foil borderless Okos, like having missed mm-hmm. their second exit opportunity on them but before the last round of bannings. Yo, I mean, it's still played in EDH. It's it's still going to be a three to $400 card one day. It's still the original premium printing of Oko. So until they get rid of it in Commander, totally fine Which... having three or four copies of that sitting around. Which they won't do. And also... Uh... <coughs> I don't know why they would go back to the well on Oko anywhere in the near future. Oko's a super like, hard to card to print. It's in the Jace the Mind Sculptor problem child slot. So it will get a reprint, but it'll be a while. It's, you know, and also like Jace, people loved Jace. People do not love Oko. O- o- Oko left a bad taste in a lot of mouths. So they kind of, you know... There might there's not the public reception to reprinting Oko that there would have been with something like Jay's. And it could show up in a secret layer or something and get a mm-hmm. and get a new premium version that has twenty thousand copies printed or whatever. But again, it that's not going to affect the original borderless foil. Yeah. Which will just yeah. slowly, steadily gain momentum as people go, Ah well, I thought that was a two hundred dollar card. It's only ninety six, so I'll I'll snap one off. And that'll happen dollar by dollar, right back up the ramp, and it's more protected from reprints than almost anything else because where are you going to print it can't can't print it in modern can't go in a modern product you're not going to put it in a commander deck could it could be commander legends 2 or commander legends 3 maybe that's a ways away yeah, yeah. some chase card some product but 
Not often and not at rare. All right, so let's plow through this list here. Consecrated Sphinx at a uh, Mirrodin Besieged 34 to 56. That's the first printing of that card. Mana Vault from 3rd edition, otherwise known as Revised, 65 to 110. Mana Vault? Craziness. If you can get $100 for a Mana Vault, definitely hit me up and let me know on Twitter or in the Discord. Um, I, I didn't sell a Mana Vault. And by the way, these Mana Vaults used to be like $2. Yeah. That is a killer. Yeah. Uh, I have been selling 3rd uh, edition cards. The 3rd the edition cards that I dug out uh, that were all near mint, like just random crap. Like I think virtually every single one of them that I listed sold at a price that was basically shocking to somebody who has played, you know, seen enough third third edition and fourth edition in their life to last, you know, last a lifetime. These damn things move. So I totally believe that somebody out there is paying a hundred damn dollars for Monovault third edition. So crazy. All right, moving right along. Sliver Overlord, uh, twenty five to forty two. Slivers are under pressure across the board, and the common theory in our Discord is that it's because of the Sliver reprints and the Time Spell Remastered reigniting the Sliver deck-building flame. Now, that makes sense and could be all that's going on, but it's just there's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of confident purchasing of very old Sliver foils and so forth that has got me suspicious that Slivers are getting, that somebody has caught wind that Slivers are on their way back into a product in the near future. Now, whether that's Strixhaven or Modern Horizons 2 or something else, I have no idea. And it's entirely possible that it's a nothing burger. But let's put it this way. I'm not in a rush to sell Slivers at discounted prices right now. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I missed that conversation. My gut reaction to the claim that the sliver price movement is because of the slivers and time spell remastered is that that's wrong. I don't. I, I instinctually I think that's not correct. I don't. Th- I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. You haven't been given any new sp- splinter um, slivers. There's not a significant new supply. Uh, the type of player who's going to rush out and buy all sorts of crazy slivers for um, some deck is not the person who's being targeted with time spiral remastered like who's buying synapse sliver well there's no and and there's no key sliver in time spiral remastered that it being reprinted and at the price point that it's currently available in the market like sliver legion isn't cheap enough and isn't necessary enough to building a sliver deck that you suddenly are willing to do it when you wouldn't do it last week so yeah and we definitely, like, we saw the last Sliver push was ahead of Modern Horizons 1 when the rumor got out that Slivers were included there. And that happens because you're you're imagining a bunch of amazing new Slivers. And indeed, you got the first Sliver, you got Cloud Shredder Sliver, you got some good stuff that does improve Sliver decks. And, but, and then it recedes. But we're seeing the same level of push here just on the time spiral action. That, something about that seems fishy to me. Well, something that I think listeners and I guess, I guess this is for our Discord too should want to keep in mind is that when you're trying to link two events, you know, usually it's going to be why is this card going up in price? I think it's because of this. I, I'm trying. This is what I suspect the causation is, is to consider, you know, the markets for what these these items are. Um, the person buying Synapse Sliver and Sliver Overlord in general is not 
not a, like a heavily enfranchised competitive player, right? We know Slivers trend a little more casual, um, not hyper casual, but certainly not, you know, it's not the same market as Thoughtseize is. Time Spiraler Mastered, n- not the product for those guys, right? Like that's you, the average player, the type of player likely to want to build a 60 card Sliver deck couldn't even buy a time spell or a mastered box if they wanted to. Mm, I'm not um, sure I agree with that. I think there's plenty of casual whales. Well, but I still don't think that they would feel the sudden impetus of, oh my gosh, I opened a sliver legion. Now I got to build a sliver deck when yeah, they, that's my point when they could have just like bought they, one last week. Exactly. But that's my point. Like the guy bought opening the time spell remastered packs isn't doing that and going like, oh, I need to go buy these other slivers. It's not to say that doesn't happen, but it just seems that's a very tenuous connection to me. What? And and when we float, when, when we look at, like you mentioned before, the, the history of other sliver spikes and it being basically that they're in product or expected to be in product. Well, that, that new ones are going to be in product. Yet. Right, right. That makes a lot more sense. It's like, oh, well, sure. Uh, that 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 ties together and it's you know so that that that, i just wanted to 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 make that point for our listeners well and keep it you haven't you haven't necessarily always seen the reason for something to happen well keep in mind that there was a secret layer sliver last year that was pretty cheap when it came out didn't see a big sliver push there there was the the sliver legion judge foil which is now very pricey like pushing 200 but wasn't up front as Judge Foils tend to be when they first all hit the market at the same time, they're relatively cheap and didn't see any notable sliver activity off that. So yes, Times Power Remastered is a bigger deal with a bigger hype cycle, more of a spotlight, but I don't know. I just, my antenna's up and I'm curious to see how that will play out in six months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so moving right along to the aforementioned expeditions being under pressure, we've got Polluted Delta, non-foil, Zendikar expedition, Zendikar Rising expedition, fifty to eighty-five, non-foil. You get, you can get eighty-five dollar Zendikar Rising uh, regular booster boxes on Amazon right now for eighty-five dollars. Those come with one non-foil box topper, Zendikar expedition. I haven't done the latest EV calc on those yet, but I'm willing to bet it's pushing forty bucks. And you got a lot of hits. <laughs> the allied fetches under pressure. The enemy fetches are in there. The battle bond lands are in there. There's a cavern of souls. There's an ancient tomb. Those boxes are starting to look pretty, pretty, pretty cute. And then the collector booster boxes is two non-foil and two foil. And sometimes it's three foil. Sometimes it's one foil. But on average, two foil, two non-foil. That's a pretty good underwriting for the value of those boxes. If you can get them under 200. Yeah, someone's sitting around doing the math on those and they're going to start to catch on that we've passed a tipping point and they became worth it. Yeah. So Cavern of Souls foils, like I said, 112 to 180 or so, 60% gains. Over in the reserve list land, Lake of the Dead, 140 to 240, otherwise known as whatever you can get for it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teferi Time Raveler was one of my picks last week out of the Secret Layer stained glass product. Uh, Called it to go... What was the call? Call was 40 to 75. It, in theory, went 45 to 80. And now you'd be expecting a retrace, but it looks like we're well on track with that one. 
The first sliver from Modern Horizons, 22 to 42. <laughs> Guy bought a Russian copy from me on eBay the other day at 25 that I had forgotten I had up, which I would super, super wished as soon as I saw the sale that I had not sold. And then messaged me a day later and said, actually, I just realized it's Russian. I don't want that. Do you mind canceling? Have never hit, yeah. never, have never hit the cancel button so fast. <laughs> Time Spiral remastered booster boxes, as I said, went from about 150 in our group buy, but 180 to 220 in the market price, up to about 300 this week. So 50 to 100% gains in the first week of release <laughs> for a sealed product. Yep, that is uh, pretty good movement. Pretty, pretty wild. Pretty I don't good. I don't think we've seen. That's got to be the yeah. That's the fastest sealed product that's ever turned around like that. The only thing I can think of that's comparable is Mythic Edition One, um, I, and Throne of Eldraine collector boosters in the first couple of weeks. I don't know. And, I like, and, I and they trouble. never got that high. I have trouble counting mythic editions those seemed like cheating <laughs> um i guess i you might be able to make the claim that uh the commander product that had true name nemesis because you could literally walk into a store pay 30 dollars for it put it on ebay on your from your phone in this in walmart for 60 bucks and sell it sure so that was that was a hundred percent essentially instantly but that was also 2013 like, yeah 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 <laughs> not, a long time not, ago. not a common occurrence uh sliver, sliver hive lowered from m15 16 to 32 100 gains slivers under pressure again wheel of sun and moon from Shadowmore 15 to 30 that's modern sideboard usage in the green white decks uh, against graveyards gale rider sliver this is just the regular gale rider sliver just the rare from m14 9 to 18 you could what's oh, oh. The, the spike here isn't wild. What's wild is that Gale Rider Sliver was $10. Yeah, well, and well, obviously it was under some earlier pressure. It probably got up there from 5 or 6 but yeah. the these were widely available in the 2 to $3 range. Could have bought hundreds, uh, hundreds of these at 2 to $3. Were they that cheap? For sure. They were in... Ex- they were, I remember them being like 4 or 5 bucks. Two to three sounds low to me. Maybe maybe right at, at uh, what was that, M14's launch, they were that cheap. But like this was always a, a popular card. So m- March of 2014, TCG had them at $1.50 average. So low was probably 99 cents. Really? Yep. I didn't think they were ever that cheap. They came out of the gate at three bucks by the following, you know, the... About a year out, as would typically have been true at the time, they had dropped by half, and then they sat around four dollars for five years. Okay. Okay. Huh. So yeah, slivers under suspicious pressure in my mind. Lord of the Pit at a third edition, five to ten dollars. I, I think an argument could be made that that could be a pick if you believe in this re- in the revised nonsense. Lord of the Pit is. Super unplayable, but it's also super iconic. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the card is cool. It looks cool. And, I mean, if we're playing this game where basically any card from 3rd edition can be worth that much. Because that's, that's revised, right? Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm in for it. I don't think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, any revised card, at this point, any near mint revised card that's like semi playable that hasn't spiked already, sure. Why not? Give it a go. Give it a go. This next one's cute if you opened a bunch of Throne of Eldraine collector booster boxes and you were sad because you didn't pull an Oko at the time. You might have one of these lying around. An Outlaw's Merriment Foil Extended Art. This is the one red double white enchantment that says, At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one at random. Create a red and white creature token with those characteristics. Either... A 3-1 human warrior with trample and haste, a 2-1 human cleric with lifelink and haste, or a 1-2 human rogue with haste, and when this creature enters the battlefield, it deals 1 damage to any target. This is relevant because it leans into the party mechanic that debuted in Zendikar Rising and is likely to see a resurfacing in the D&D set later this summer. If you can unload these at the $25 plus price point that's currently floating around, (laughs) I invite you to do so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i Sounds don't know awesome. why yeah it's like most of these spikes that we a lot of these spikes we were like yeah sure why not it's older blah 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 this one it's like no why why what like, get, get rid of this crap <laughs> this is one of those cards where you should sell it right away uh feldegriff out of alliances 25 to 52 uh a, an odd card no question about it uh was a popular commander i believe it's uh, like a it's, it's like a legendary. group hug card yeah um you know it's kind of a gimmick card yeah but it definitely has some popularity and it's reserve list and there you go that's uh, about all you need these days masterpiece invocation still under pressure we got mind twist going from 50 to 100 or so and locust god going from 90 to high hundreds to 200 depending on what, where you're referencing prices this is just a continuous process. The invocations are getting cleaned right out. And the interesting thing there is that the invocations were the highest drop rate of all the masterpieces. When we got to Ahmed Cat, they announced that they were increasing the rate drop rate significantly. Um, did that play out? I don't. I guess I don't remember. Like, uh, I don't remember invocation. The thing is, I guess it was hard to separate the supply of invocation, the extra supply of invocation, from the popularity because they just weren't popular at the start you know what i mean well it was it was very divisive like lots of people like them you and i i think were on record as not liking them uh and have discussed so many times um i'm still a huge believer that it it, you know it would be a really fantastic subset go back and do all the invocations again on the next amonkhet but do them as foil borderless same art Mm-hmm. that would be home run city we're just gonna try this again guys well just because the art this. the art on them is incredible one of the best sets of art to debut on any subset of magic cards ever a uh, little bit of a collector's corner tip this week i opened i, I was under the impression i had ordered zero cal time collector booster boxes but it turns out i bought one from mvp sports um just one, I think at about 185 or something like that, maybe 190, and cracked it this week because it came in with the rest of my packages and pulled pretty decently, uh, but realized real quick, those foil showcase cards from Caldime are gorgeous and they look fantastic in foil. Absolutely. It, you know, if you were putting together the foil sets from, say, the VIP packs or the mutate creatures from the Ikoria cards, 
you definitely want to line this up to join that binder of like cool looking magic cards because they did some good work there with the art direction. They're nifty. Yeah, they look good in person, big time. I, I, I still haven't gotten around to picking up any Ikoria cards. I haven't felt uh, an impetus to, but I should really grab those because those are all cool looking. And there's tons of cheap ones too. Like you can put together yeah. most of that set for dirt cheap right now. Yeah, that was my uh, what I was thinking. Like I should really get on this because it won't stay that cheap forever, but it is right now. Moving along, Synapse Liver uh, out of Legions, I believe. Just twenty, yeah. just regular Synapse Liver. 20 to 60. Is 60 a real number? No idea. Do you need Synapse Liver in your Slivers deck? Not really. I mean, it's good, but it's probably not $60 of value good. No. Uh, no. This is a weird one. Kiora Bests the Sea God. This is a foil mythic, just regular mythic, not foil extended art, uh, from Theros Beyond Death from about a year ago. 5 to 16. Got a can't pin that on anything I can think of other than casual demand. And Yeah, I got nothing either. And this is the high foil drop rate era. This is the era where fo- pack foils are supposedly not going to get anywhere. And yet something like Kiora Best of Sea God could, was probably available at 250 or so a year ago. Because it wasn't getting played anywhere. It was ridiculous house in, in sealed and draft. Like, unbeatable. But didn't see really any... Uh, constructed play anywhere. So, uh, might want to pull those out if you cracked uh, Theros Collector Booster Boxes. Probably have a couple of them lying around. Yeah, I almost certainly. I bet I do, because I opened uh, a couple of those, and I have no idea. I wouldn't have sold it before, because why would I have? Yep. And then hottest mover of the week by far, Chain of Smog out of Onslaught. Uh, going from 50 cents to, I don't know, 16 plus. This, this is a prime example of a card where I'm going to be upset if I if I get too greedy and don't manage to sell any. Because I went back to the Onslaught binder, which has been long since picked over multiple times. That was leftover cards from the bulk of when I sold the best stuff from the Super Collection in 2015. Summer 20... Fall of 2015? That sounds about right. And sure enough, there was four chain of smog sitting there and another three in one of my other binders and i slapped them up at 20 dollars plus on ebay nobody's bought any yet now in light of the announcement of the lord of the ring set we should clarify that this is chain of smog <laughs> not clean of smog so you know just make sure you uh don't confuse the two yeah the, the whole thing here is that with uh magecraft being revealed for strixhaven this card combos off and basically lets you like wipe the table because you can target yourself with it a whole bunch of times right yeah you target yourself and then it allows you to cast it again and then you just keep casting it over and over and over again um, and put all the triggers on the stack and you'll discard your hand but who cares all your opponents are dead Um, in combination with it in combination with the new liliana yes in combination with the new liliana uh sorry the new onyx who was also liliana uh Technically, any of the chains will work, uh, but people went after Smog because it's the black one, and the Liana's a black card. Well, pla- um, Plasma will kill you, right? Ooh, let me take it. I, 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 I guess pla- Plasma has the potential to kill you, because you're doing three damage to yourself to get the same end result. Now, the funny part here, of course, is that you can't make the new Liliana your commander, so people are... Like, this is what a real loose 
combo. This is one of those two-card combos where you can't reliably build your deck around it unless they go unless the Magecraft pool of cards is especially deep. But it is possible that you you could find a Grixis commander or something to build a spells theme, a Magecraft focused theme, and that Chain of Smog would fit in the deck. Well, I'm hoping that people, but you know, if anyone is actually paying twenty dollars for a Chain of Smog, realizes that you're not paying necessarily for the Liliana Chain of Smog combo so much as you're sort of paying for the idea of what may come here. Um, you know, and, and Chain of Smog will be in your black deck that plays this, but it's it, it's ambitious to say the least. Like there could be a there um, could be a creature where it says Magecraft, make a one one. Yeah, almost certainly. And then Chain of Smog makes infinite tokens. Actually, I guess now I'm curious because you cast Chain of Smog. Putting it on the stack, targeting yourself. You cannot copy it yet. Chain of Smog resolves. You discard two cards. You may copy the spell. Targeting yourself. Oh, because you can just you would just keep doing the two damage to yourself. Or I'm sorry, you would just keep draining for discarding two. cards. Well, no, discarding, yes, you, you would keep discarding cards. You have no cards to discard, but it's not part of the cost. The other ones are, let's see, deal three damage. Chain of Plasma requires you to discard a card from your hand to keep uh, it going, mm-hmm, so that doesn't mm-hmm. work. That's why it's small. Chain of Acid uh, doesn't require you to discard a card, but you will destroy a non-creature permanent every time. So you will run out of options with Chain of Acid eventually because you'll only have so many non-creature permanents to destroy. Chain of Vapor, you're going to be saying probably going to be bouncing that stuff. Chain of Silence requires you to sacrifice a land. So I take that back. Chain of Smog is actually the only one that works. Got it. The other ones let you keep chaining it, but they will come to a stop right. uh, pretty quickly. And it's also we also don't know for sure whether the first part of the Magecraft ability on, ability on Liliana will be on all the Magecraft cards. Because it says, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. We, do, uh, we don't know that all Magecraft will be when you cast or copy instant or sorcery. My presumption is that that's the case. But the the way that it's it's templated doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You want to know something that's funny? I missed it, the fact that that said copy. Yeah, I mean that's. I knew it said cast. I did not catch that it said copy. That's why it works because Chain of Smog just copies and copies and copies and copies itself, and you drain for two every time. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that counted as casting it, but I suppose that's true. Um, yeah, I I'm gonna go out on a limb. I don't know how much of a limb I'm going out on here. That uh, Magecraft is probably whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery. I think that they're basically all going to start with that because we don't because there's no we, when we talk. Well, we'll talk about this a little bit more further on. I would assume that's where we're going to go, but we can come back to it. All right. Uh, why don't you tell us about the empty geo movers? Sure. So relatively short list here of interesting cards. Food chain from. 2.75 tickets to four and a half legacy play 
relative lack of uh, availability in the card pool. Hex Drinker at a Modern Horizons from 7.87 tickets to four, almost 14.5 or 80% plus gains. That's because the Jun deck that we reported on last week that did well uh, in big tournament was running uh, Hex Drinker as a four of, and we flagged it uh, a couple of times in the Discord. Just extra value out of your Modern Horizons boxes because those were easy to move for a brief period and then got when people thought the card was fantastic, and then when it stopped showing up at lists, it just fell to nothingness. And Out of all the uh, the boxes that you cracked in MTGO? Well, no, no, but I'm talking about the people that have it in real life, because if it's getting seeing a lot of play in Magic Online, people will start bu- buying it in paper. Oh, okay. On, on the premise that it's good in Jund. Gotcha. Uh, Wooded Foothills Expedition from 13.80 tickets to 27 these are released promo style, and I think they were mostly through treasure chests. Um, th- we've seen lots of these good promos for key S-tier staples moving. Seems like a pretty solid theme for speculation on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, move into our paper cards to wash this week. Uh, I got uh, some tasty ones. How about Mana Drain Extended Art out of Commander Legends? I don't think I picked this in the fall. I'll have to go back and double check. But regardless, the time is nine. There are 20 results left on TCG Player for the Extended Art non-foil. Starts at about 80 bucks or so. Ramps pretty hard. They're not going to reprint this again this year. This can easily go, say, 85 to 140. It's in 29,000 reported EDH rec decks, despite being A, not printed that often, and B, a very pricey card. 12% of all blue decks running it, despite those counter factors. It's one of the best blue cards of all time that you can still play in Commander. Hardly any of these around. Commander Legends, Collector Booster Boxes, all those. Units sold on Amazon last week notwithstanding, there is not a huge rush of supply that's entered the market, so seems like a pretty solid timing for this to go, you know, plus 40 or 50 bucks within the next 6 to 12 months. Yeah, I mean, the numbers on here don't lie. 30,000 EDH rec decks is pretty significant. Uh, and, you know, the, the 12% of all blue decks playing this card in despite the fact that the cheapest copy is what like 80 bucks or something like that 70 bucks not cheap um maybe maybe it's down to 50 50 or 60 but it regardless it's not a not an inexpensive card um you know these borderless copies you know all the monodrains are just going to keep going up essentially uh you know i think it's that type of card that the price just kind of keeps climbing as people continue to acquire them because the price is high enough that when it gets reprinted and it dips, the people who've been looking for an opportunity to buy in, some of them will buy in. They add it to their collection. The price goes back, returns climbing. People get priced out again. And this cycle will just kind of keep going on basically until they've printed so many that everyone who has them wants them. But we are clearly not anywhere close to that. This next one we've called a couple times on cast, but it really is. It really does have fresh impetus, I suppose. I made I made sure to check last year's spreadsheet. You and I should will be doing that for quite some time. But I checked last year's spreadsheet. We never picked it. Um, so if we picked it, it was back in 2019. Or or it could have but, been a pro trader 
selection since we don't have yeah. that. I mean, up. it might have, yeah, it might have come up in the discard. We might have talked about it with, but as sort of, a, oh, you know what card you should pick type of. Oh, deal. it's it's definitely um, been pitched to me a couple of times in the discord, and I've brushed it off simply because I knew we had talked about it in the past. Yeah, well, um, the card I'm talking about, we're talking about in in secrecy mystery. We got you on the edge of your seat. Uh, I'm going to insert a, a three minutes of silence here. <laughs> so that people have to wait um is the primal amulet uh specifically the biobox copies uh primal amulet is all the way back to ixalan and the biobox copies were flip cards but they had that go with the james liked to call them mapster pieces because they were masterpieces but the flip side of them rather than having just you know artwork you know normal artwork had uh, a map on it and if you had all of them it formed a map a map of ixalan Oh, yeah, Map of Ixalan. They were super rare um, in terms of, like, you know, I, you'd have to go back and listen to the old episodes. And I don't expect you to do that, but the distribution on them was was uh, was low because um, there were, like, nine of them, right? And there was – you only got one when you bought a box. So you had – basically, you got one of any buy a box promo for every nine boxes that showed up. So not too common. But the, the cheapest copy of these right now is 25 bucks. Um, it's in 14,000 EDH rec decks, so it sees a fair bit of play already. Um, and the rule sex on this is, it's an, it's an artifact that costs four that makes all your instants and sorcery spells cost one less. Uh, every time you cast one, you, you put a counter on it, and then when you hit four counters, you may, and I'm, I'm hitting the may term here, the may here, you may flip it. If you flip it, it's a land where you can add, you know, add one amount of any color, and then when you cast an instant or sorcery, you get to copy that spell. So pretty powerful on the flip side. But the reason this has renewed interest here is Magecraft, because Magecraft, if you believe that Magecraft is going to be cast instants or sorceries pretty much across the board like that's what matecraft is going to be and i i believe that it is um then this type of effect is going to be very popular in any deck that wants to play matecraft now matecraft is likely to be a fairly significant pro- probably like the key you know the uh, the key keyword the prime the, the major keyword or one of the you know two or three major keywords in the set um they tend not to go like super deep on keywords uh, people always think there's going to be more action on those than there are. Um, this happens time and time again, where people see a keyword revealed, they go nuts, they think half the cards in the set is going to have it, and they're all going to be competitive staples. Um, and then it turns out that there's like 1.5 cards that are playable with the effect. So keep that in mind here. Uh, but so this is that's the, the Magecraft is a catalyst, not a. Um, that the kicking off factor, you know, we're still banking on the fact that it's in 14,000 decks. It's rare to begin with. There's not a lot of copies on the market. In fact, there's uh, 20 vendors for this right now. Um, the cheapest copy is 20 bucks. Oh, I put 25 on here, but it should be 20. The key- cheapest copy is 20 bucks right now. Um, and then you go through like two play sets and you're at 30. So the ramp is really steep. Um, so, so it, it, it's lined up pretty well to begin with, and then you add in the fact that some some number of additional people will go looking for these for Magecraft, and that's going to really help. If you really get lucky, they'll print a good commander that has that synchronizes with synergizes with Magecraft, and that that'll do your work for you right there. That seems very likely, given that we're getting five Strixhaven commander decks. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. With the amount of Commander product they make these days. And that'll be minimum 15 uh, options for new Commander, plus all the ones that appear in the set proper. Yeah. Yeah, so with the amount of... That's a good point now with the amount of EDH staples that are getting printed. Uh, you know, the amount of EDH product that gets printed now, that the likelihood of seeing commanders that work with whatever feature you want them to is much higher than it used to be. But it just so happens that Strixhaven being the spring set syncs with the annual commander release. So most standard sets get two commander decks and they don't have very many new cards. The... Five for Strixhaven will be the main commander deck release for the year. So five decks, not two, plus a whole bunch of new cards. Yeah. So very likely to be an in-demand card. Okay. What's your second pick? How about Decimate out of the secret layer uh, metal-themed kill cards that I forgot to buy? I just put together a cart of several hundred dollars on TCG, and I'm hovering over the pulling the trigger button. Because paying more than they charged at the release grinds me <laughs> to dust. But it, I still think Especially it's... Especially when it was like three weeks ago. But Well, no, it was months. It was a few months ago. Yeah, two months. But it seems right. Like, there isn't that much of this product on TCG. There could still be more, some more to appear from the market for sure. But... I don't think it's quick flip. Like, it's not three to six months like some of this other stuff is that's under a lot of pressure. But these cards look great. Super unique. They table well for EDH. Like, people will, like, clock them and be like, oh, that's cool. Where'd you get that? Etc. It's it's got good table appeal. And there's nothing like it in the game. And probably it's not a theme you're going to see them go back to anytime soon. So... All three of them, Assassin's Trophy, Decimate, and Anguish Unmaking, all seem like solid targets. Decimate's the cheapest of the bunch at 6 bucks. For this to go to 6 to 15 in a year, 6 months to a year, seems very likely to me. It's in 13,000 EDH decks. It's a near auto-include, in my mind, in green-red, because you need four targets, but at a busy table, that's pretty easy in EDH. 12% of green-red decks report running it. That should probably a much, be a much higher number because it lets you do things like kill, destroy a creature that you can't normally do in those colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a, a very cool, powerful card. Um, I mean, I played it in pretty much every green-red deck that I had. The art is, as you said, distinct. Um, I like it. I like it. I think it's a very cool effect. Uh, it doesn't really look like a magic card in all fairness, but... That's fine. Um, See, that that bothers me so much less because I don't think that the templating on magic cards... A, it's not like... I don't have a nostalgia attachment to it in terms of that I I need my game to look the way I expect it to look. I would actually prefer it to look better. (laughs) And I think that a lot of the stylish stuff they've done lately does make the game look better. And I think the best counter-argument is actually more along the lines of what Daniel Fournier posted a while back where he was like, this is the as fan you could have where it's like seven utterly different art styles and and that and that that whole thing's only going to get worse based on your points recently about warhammer and lord of the rings and whatever where you're going to have a my little pony playing against a like sadomasochistic warhammer commander (laughs) shit starts to get pretty weird yeah i mean that's kind of where i was going with it is my problem isn't so much that it doesn't look like a magic card it's that there's just such a variety of those cards and you know you're gonna be able to put together an edh deck that is just uh like a visual train wreck 
Yep. Um, really just truly an affront to God. You know, 99 <laughs> different card frames. Um, that, that, you, you've actually got me curious now whether I can whether that's even something you can pull off. Can you make? Could can you, you can you do 99 absolutely. frames now? I I'm uh yeah. Out, there's no way you couldn't. There's no. The only tricky part about that might be that. No, there's you. You can de- your lands. Your lands would be the hard part, I think. But even then, if you're more concerned about hitting the 99 than you are about having it be the right cards, I think you're fine. Um. In any case, uh, what I particularly like about this is that it's uh, non-foil, and you know we have talked before. Uh, that non-foil cards seem to do very well percentage-wise. You know, we definitely like our foils, um, but there's no denying that non-foils have some good runs. Uh, and, you know, so if you're buying this for five or six bucks, you know, getting the fifteen, even twenty dollars doesn't seem out of out of reality. I mean, if someone looked at this card and said, "Oh, that looks really cool. It's only twenty bucks. I need a copy." Like that's fine. I'll, you know, twenty bucks isn't that much. And meanwhile, you got to go from five to twenty. You're like, "Damn, I got a." a four times multiplier uh get paid so i'm i'm a fan of that um that is tempting to, to pick those up i'd have to see what you know what what was the supply look like it's like four, 40 listings and you definitely have some walls here like brain food has 53 copies at six bucks there's yeah. there's some other there's another one with 32 copies because some people went deep right like they were on time kitchen table games 36 so there's a, a couple of hundred copies to grind through and that's why i think it's probably on a six to 12 month horizon instead of a zero to six. But I think they're going to be very popular because they're so distinctive. And the other thing is I chose the non-foil for two reasons. A, the foils don't exist. They, I say there are no foils for this. Right. One. So there's no competition. And that's extra special with secret layer because everybody, a lot of people have heard tell that secret layer foils curl like crazy. Now, that's just a general magic problem right now, but especially with Secret Lair. So not having people have to worry about that and getting to play with the card for years means I think these are a slam dunk on any kind of mid to long term horizon. Yeah, I like the I, I think this is a decent pick. I I'm agree with you that you might be waiting a little while just because of the depth of some of these walls. That guy who apparently bought 100 copies of the Secret Lair is kind of amusing to me. Um, I mean, at least 53. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can still sell through those without too much difficulty. Well, I'm a hard sell to sell stuff to me at a price above what I could have bought it at. But I just I just checked out that cart while we were talking. So <laughs> I've already paid that guy off for 10 of his sets. Yeah. Now I really feel like I need to go through and figure out what the deal is with these secret layers. See if it's historically if they're worth it all right your um, next selection for the week also working off the magecraft idea because I, I wanted to go see you know this is like the key, the big keyword kind of what everyone keyed in off strixhaven let's you know chain of smog went nuts let's try and get ahead of this where else can we look because usually the first card that spikes is a good idea of what might be going on but it's not necessarily your only choice the other card I found is a good intersection of this week's topics, which is Talrin Sky Summoner, who was just printed in the Times Portal Remastered Old Border Foil. 
So you get both the Magecraft angle and the Time Spiral Remastered foil angle. But you can pick up copies of this guy for $26 right now for the Time Spiral Remastered foil. Talrand is surprised. I was a little surprised to see this in well over 12,000 EDH rec decks. I did not realize he was that popular. Um, I was expecting like three to five, but 12,000 players. I mean, that's a significant number. You know, anything over d double digits is, is what I would consider. I think it's fair to say probably a staple, like a tier two, tier three staple. Um, you know, we've already talked about Time Spell Remastered cards, how they, they seem to have already hit the floor the weekend they came out. Everything is moving upwards. Uh, and at $25 for the foils, like this seems like it's on the low end, right? Like compared to all these other cards, this is a bargain. Obviously not as in demand as something like Thoughtseize or Chalice of the Void, but, you know, I think it'll get there. You're clearly going to get there eventually. You know, if we're looking for this, if you're getting them at 25, 26 now, you, you know, shoot to get them out at like 50 or 60 bucks, maybe. I mean, with the, with everything else that the prices it is and time spiral is limited as, as we now know, uh, I don't think that's, you know, a double up plus is unreasonable, especially with that popularity. The existing popularity and the sudden potential further utility. One of the things that's important with this is that it's been reprinted a ton of times, but has dodged a foil reprinting almost every time. So yeah. it was in a bunch of commander decks along the way. Then they put it in the mystery boosters, but not as the foil uh, stuff, just in the regular set, which was didn't have foils. So Mystery Boosters Convention Edition has the uh, playtest cards uh, in the special slot, and the Retail Edition had foils from a foil sheet in the special slot. But the main set was all non-foil. And then again, six months later in Jumpstart, they put it out again in one of the blue decks. But again, Jumpstart has no foils. Mm -hmm. So it's dodged it over and over again. I guess Dual Decks Mind versus Might it's probably if no, it's not a no, it's not a foil there either. It was a non-foil there as well. Yeah, it's one of those cards. It's got a million printings, but none of them, but very few of them are foil. But I don't even care. I mean, it could it could have ten foil copies, uh, and I wouldn't care because those aren't old border foils, right? And that's that's the key difference. Yeah, and so what can we get the? So you're leaning into original foils as opposed to the. Time shifted ones? No, this is a time shifted foil. So you're calling the time shifted foil to go what? It's like twenty five to sixty. Yeah, I think you're right. There's there's like sixteen listings left. I can pick some off in Europe right now for about twenty three a piece, which is just a couple bucks less than than TCG, and all of that seems to make perfect sense to me. It just seems like, I mean, the prices on a lot of these old border foils, or I'm going to call them old border foils, on these. Old Border Foils kind of went nuts, but the cards that seem to have missed that frenzy are probably just set up for the, the second or third wave of demand on this product, right? Like, it's been five days. What is this? What are all these cards going to look like in a month? Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, out of curiosity, do you remember what... I was trying to log in to the Ultra Secret MTG Price group by channel uh pro the, platform our, our to app. see what the prices on these mm -hmm. were yeah and uh, it wouldn't let me in but do you know what the prices on these well, were? well we didn't have the foils in in that buy oh. the only foil buy we've oh. done so far was the full foil sets at four grand a piece full foil set. 
that 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 particular group buy caught me at a very bad time. I was just it did not have the time that that day or two days to really pay attention, and it was over. We are trying to pull together another foil buy that's uh, going to go off in the next week or so. So I'm just waiting on details on that because somebody got their hands on some more product and decided to crack and selling. Uh, vendors tell me that even at the elevated prices that those boxes were available in Europe, they were still very profitable to crack because they were. It was so easy for them to sell sets of the foil and non-foil time shifted stuff. Like we had we had sets in the group buy this weekend at uh, non-foil sets at two ninety nine apiece. Uh, so one of every card for three hundred. Yeah. yeah. Compared to the one of every card for four thousand in foil. Yeah, it's basically like non-foils were three dollars a piece, roughly on average, and the foils were thirty-three or whatever. So ten times multiplier on the foils. Yeah, I mean, considering foils usually in like most sets for a long time were like two to one, and then that ratio dropped to like 1.3, 1.5, sometimes one to one. Ten to one is pretty wild. Yeah. Eleven to one. So I'll join you on a time-shifted call. Prized Amalgam foil time-shifted. It's currently sitting in the mid-30s. I think it's going to go to 55 or 60 as well. It's a modern dredge staple, steep ramp. Time-shifted foils are drying up fast. The uh, old border foil gold cards are pretty cool. The And this is usually played as a four-of in dredge. So I, I, I like the time-shifted that are reasonably priced and are four-ofs. Because yeah. real hard to find a buyer for, well, maybe not so hard to find a buyer if you're on the right Facebook group, but uh, a lot less liquid for four foil time-shifted uh, Dotsies is once they're $1,000 plus because you got to carry out a $4,000 transaction. But the, if the prize amalgams hit 50, someone a Dredge player might cough up 200. I mean, Dredge has survived a lot of ban periods. A lot of nasty cards have gotten banned while Dredge was still legal. Yeah, I mean, and Prize Amalgam is, in all honesty, ultra-fair dredge card. It's not even like it's a busted card that you're worried about getting broken. You, you, um, you also see it show up in a... Pie, we, we've seen the Pioneer dredge builds also using Prize Amalgam, so multi-format. It's not really an EDH card. It's like a thousand decks reported or whatever, which is basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm... Well, I have two thoughts. The, fir- the first is that... Uh, I'm. I feel better about picking a foil, old border foil card, knowing that they weren't in the group buy and I didn't miss it. Uh, second, I'm not exactly clear sitting in this chair thinking about it the first for the first time right now whether I want EDH card. You know, if we're if we're like okay, you can pick a a blank old border foil card that's in like the twenty five to thirty five dollar range. Are you picking the card that's an ED, you know, a, med- a moderate EDH staple like Talrand or a competitive, a similar competitive staple like Prized Amalgam? Like these are two really good examples, I think. And I don't know, I don't know which one I would pick. I don't know which one I like the idea of more. I'm, I'm leaning towards EDH just because. I mean, it's EDH, right? Like that's just that's been the the, the narrative for years. Um, unless you're on the MTG Finance subreddit, it's been the narrative for six hours. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to go wrong in either case. Yeah, and and there's been ton- there's people in our Discord that were in real early, proactively targeting kind of Friday morning as inventory went up, 
uh, on TCG last week and did very, very well for themselves. People that oh, people yeah. that snapped off the four thousand dollars sets with us gonna do very well for themselves because uh, how many foil sets will be floating out there? Not many. Yeah. I am sure that a couple people out there really were like, "I am in." And sat down on Friday and just start started buying in and spent five, ten grand, fifteen grand, maybe more. Uh, you know, picking them up as they showed up and are pretty happy with it right now. Oh, like you could get things like Bajuka Bog copies at thirty, forty, fifty dollars along the way there. Currently there's three there's three listings left on TCG player starting at ninety-one dollars, total of six copies. Europe is 95 plus with about four times more copies left, but Bajuka Bog is such a ubiquitous card, useful in EDH, useful in modern, that the foil old border could end up being a $200 thing. Just for, yeah, just for I mean, Bajuka Bog. Yeah, I mean, Bajuka Bog is. What is the price of that right now? What did you say it was? 75. Let's put it this way I'm thoroughly convinced that. In many cases, the time-shifted foils will exceed the price of the original foil, almost no matter how old it is. In the case of something like Bajuka Bog, I would agree. I mean, if the alternative is like a World Wake pack foil, like nobody really cares about that, right? Like, like in the in, in this type of scenario, like people are going to care about the Jace, you know, Jace Jace Mind Sculptor World Wake pack foil, but like. Bajuka Bog? Eh. Yeah, but if they had printed Jason here, it would be debatable. Because here's the thing. They've done some very... There's a very subtle, tricky marketing thing going on here where they're tapping into nostalgia. And we have 20 years of thinking that old border foils are originals. So when you look at that, when you're parsing that foil, old border foil thoughtsies, it seems at first glance, to an ex- a seasoned Magic player, like it's the original printing. Uh, yeah, I mean, Planeswalkers might be a, a, an, ex- there, uh, an ex- mild exception. There, 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 are no, just... there are no Planeswalkers. They very... well, that's, what I, that's what I mean. No. They might end up being an exception to that rule because they don't exist. Yeah, I mean, they, they've so... made no time-shifted Planeswalkers. Yeah, and I, you know, it's hard. I, I don't know if they ever will. Because that's a that's a that's a lot of visual information to pack into a frame that wasn't designed for it, um, but and I mean that in the sense that like a old border planeswalker will stick out in a weird way such that Bojuka Bog wouldn't because old border lands existed, old border planeswalkers did not. There is one Bojuka Bog foil on TCG near mint original for forty dollars. The time shift. The time shifted less. is is headed for one fifty. It's only it's posted yeah. at forty dollars. No no confidence to push higher, even though they're the only listing on the platform at near mint. And the time shifted in week one is pushing a hundred. Yeah. So I, I I feel confident that my prediction that this is the new seventh edition foils is going to play out, and one of the reasons it's going to play out is they're going to do this again. They've already sent signals through Gavin that this is not a one-off, that they're going to try to do this again. Maybe it's every year, maybe it's every two years. They, there's only so many sets they can go back on the well 
So I think it makes most sense as an every two or three years kind of thing, because you also need some time for some sets to mature enough that they are of relevance, like that they have enough things that you could reprint and charge $200 a box. That's not easy to do. And when, and well, when they do it, I think the gimmick will continue to be more time shifted. Well, I will tell you, um, I, or more old water foils. Cause the, the fact that these are time shifted is kind of a whatever, like, you don't need that to be the theme to justify giving us more old border foils. Yeah, I was going to say, we talked about this before, and I, I don't know, maybe they'll call it Time Spiral Remastered 2. Maybe they'll call it, I, I don't know what they're going to end up calling it, but I think that the, the product will essentially be the same. It will be a collection of reprints, and the gimmick will be the old borders. And the thing is, is out of this set, out of Time Spiral Remastered, I don't have the numbers in front of me. This was like what, like a three hundred card set, or like two hundred between two hundred sixty and three forty, right? And then how many of them were printed in old border? It was like forty. It's a full it? sheet, one hundred and twenty one. So like a half to a third of the set. So it's not actually that many cards, especially when you consider that a lot of them are commons and uncommons, um, and a lot of them are you know just like whatever. I, I didn't really need this, so it's very easy for them to run this back. Not frequently, like they could probably do this more frequently than they need to or than they will, because realistically, they're only giving us a handful of the essentially quote unquote reprints that matter. Modern Masters 2, like they're giving you a lot, um, but with this, you're only getting a handful, like it's less, right? Like it's it's because of the way it works out. It, does that make but sense? they can con- if they follow my game plan here, where they have intentional scarcity on the premium stuff, then there's less pressure on them to make the rest of the set super juiced. Because honestly, I don't think you need it. Like let's let, oh, no. let, let's say that Innistrad remastered is the next target. There's maybe maybe five cards in there that are all that exciting to catch a reprint, and most of them already had multiple reprints. So like you've got. Liliana and Snapcaster, and then it goes downhill in a hurry. But as long as you give us another sheet like this, the two hundred dollar boxes will sell just fine. I I I I don't know if they would bother to do like if you say okay, we're gonna do Innistrad Remastered, and the idea is it's gonna be the same thing as Time Spell Remastered. It'll only be Innistrad reprints, and they're going to be some of them will be old border. I, I don't think anyone cares. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's nearly enough worthwhile cards in almost any set. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the thing is, they, the old borders don't have to have anything to do with Innistrad. Like, the, the, time, the time-shifted sheet, the beauty of it is it's just a pile of cards. Okay, so the way they set it up was you had the, whatever, 240 Two, cards. 289 cards, which are taken from the whole time spiral block. So from three sets, you're reconstituting a draft format out of the whole block. And then they added a special slot in the booster packs, 121 time-shifted cards. You get one in every pack. And then the foils show up one every 27 packs. All right, maybe I didn't, I wasn't quite getting the product formulation correct. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true, right? Because they get they can take the Innistrad block, put it in as a remaster set, and then also add a bunch of time-shifted cards that are from all over the place. Yeah. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess I could keep going with that strategy then. Because you, you do have a lot to go back to the well on. And if you did this once every other year, you are putting a lot of time between you and the all those old sets you could choose from. But So by the time you had kind of tapped out on that, it's been... 15 years well and and whereas the well for blocks that you can easily do this with might be relatively shallow the well of cards that people would like to get old border versions of is not shallow yeah it's gonna keep growing it's huge and grows all the time so that's a kind of an unlimited well and if i was them i would be finding a way to put out a set like this every year it doesn't have to be this formulation you can come up with whatever concept slap the time shifted foils in at this scarcity level and that will be a successful product almost no matter what else you do because people are just going to are going to be like like for instance dredge players dredge players got multiple gifts here because they got stinkweed imp and prized amalgam and i can't remember if there's anything else but that moves them closer and closer to being able to just build an old border foil deck and, and that's that. That's life goals for some enfranchised players. Uh, uh, here, here's a bonus call out. I'll throw this one out just for the the people that listen. I won't put won't put it on the show notes. The Dovin's Veto Time Spiral Remastered Time Shifted Foils. Currently, 19 results on TCG Player. 48 dollars starting point. Over in Europe, you can get them under 30. Slam dunk. Super state like S tier staple in in EDH. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess my main takeaway here is that the remastered sets are a viable path going forward, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see them find a different product formulation that lets them keep bringing old border foils back once a year or once every other year, um, and working with it that way. Sure. That seems like enough. They could just find some other strategy for it. It well, now that it's now that they see how popular it is. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised to see a secret layer pop up with this too. Keep going, guys. Oops. I mean, it could. I I don't think they. I I think they are they are best off to not put the chocolate and the peanut butter there. They can keep doing the unique art styles on secret layers and keep this like thing that is clearly targeted at enfranchised players in the premium product mix and use it to justify higher and higher price points. <laughs> should should. Should wizards not get too greedy? Yes. <laughs> Will wizards get too greedy? Hmm, almost surely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we keep letting them, so they will. Yeah. All right, let's move on over to segment four here. We've just got a couple of new cards that have been revealed for Strixhaven over the last couple of days. The uh, major spring set, of course, is coming out. Uh, I think it's April, if I'm not mistaken. Strixhaven release date is... Looking like April 15th, so a little little earlier than with Ikoria last year, and War of the Spark was, I think, mid-May, so they've been sliding that set back, which makes sense because they've got Modern Horizons 2 coming in June, and then the D&D set in July, and then two in- Innistrad sets in the fall. So, huge product release schedule for the rest of the year. You guys want some cards? Sorry? So do you guys want some cards? You know. I got some cards for you. I was thinking the other day, this is not really a Strixhaven, but uh, they're just going to end up, you know, their solution to formats getting broken 
is going to just to be to change the card pool so often that it's never a problem. And they're just going to take their sets and cut them in half and do them twice as often. Like, here you go. Okay, instead of having, you know, the one set each season, we're going to have two sets every season released an equidistant period apart. And then this way, if we print anything that's really busted and causes problems, the card pool changes eight weeks later or six weeks later. Plus, then they get to be in in spoiler season permanently. Constant hype. <laughs> I don't know. It makes the draft format weird, but if they can solve that problem, it's possible. There's, there's a lot of things that could be done if they want to get creative. So we got a look at two Planeswalkers that will show up in Strixhaven. One of them is a new Liliana. Professor Onyx, four double black, five loyalty. The key uh, text here is Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life, which means that uh, the Chain of Smog basically wins the game. Uh, plus one is you lose a life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. That's not bad. Minus three, each opponent sacrifices sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that player controls. Eh, that's less exciting. Um, and then minus eight is each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life, and you, you repeat this process six more times. It's like a Torrent of Hellfire, I think, right? It's basically that card. So latest in a long string of Planeswalker cards that are quote-unquote must-haves in Atraxa because under a doubling season, this comes in with 10 loyalty and immediately alts and probably wins you the game. Well, yeah, the the list of cards that win the game, list of Planeswalkers that win the game when they come in with like double loyalty and ultimate. is 20-plus now or something. Yeah, it's, it's enough. It's enough. If they ever print a, a commander that just is doubling season for Planeswalkers, that would be pretty good. Well, some good options are locked out because in a track that you can't, you're not playing red, so you can't play any of the nickel bolasses. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, they just need to print a five-color commander that says your Planeswalkers enter the battlefield double loyalty and people will lose their freaking minds. So here's the thing. these fo The foil extended art... And there's going to be alt art, keep in mind, because the borderless version of the Planeswalkers that comes in both collector booster boxes, well, it comes in most of the product formulations for the set, will usually have alt art. And this art is already posting up as a serious thirst trap. I saw a lot of like horny comments on Twitter when they revealed this card. <laughs> so if the other art is equally sexified, you can expect that the foils of this card will be very expensive over time, even if the card doesn't do much anywhere. I, 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 I'm lukewarm to that only because I don't think the art is... I think I think people are projecting a little bit there. Uh, I don't think the art is actually particularly enticing. Not I, I don't think it's scandalous, but I think it's for for people that are into sexy librarian look. Yeah, this this works the works the levers. Like Ellie's taken to like wearing. She has this set of glasses. She doesn't need glasses, but she wears them when she's doing work on her monitor because it helps protect her eyes. And they're very, like, nerd librarian glasses. So we've decided that she has an alternate persona, and it's been very popular around the house. People have been stuck inside for with COVID for better part of a year. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say Professor Onyx foils are going to get there over time. Well, pe- people, uh, you're right, people have been stuck inside for a year and they're getting way too horny on the main, <laughs> such as my co-host who just told me about his latest proclivities in this house at a magic finance I'm just saying I'm just podcast. saying she looks good in glasses and other people are going to feel the same <laughs> if the professor onyx alt borderless foils got glasses people going to get horny on the main that's what's going to happen yeah it would seem that way uh i the, the the takeaway here i think the first thing that we should, we should make sure we touch on is that we actually don't know what the rules text for, for Magecraft will be, and that like it could be literally anything, right? Like all of the rules text is written on the card. There's no nothing hidden behind this. Yeah, scenes. it's not like Metalcraft where there's a predefined you have to have three artifacts in play for this trigger to go off. It's going to be yeah. Magecraft dash whatever that says. Now, whether or not it always says whenever you cast a cop or copy an instant or sorcery spell, something. That's my assumed template. But I don't think that they're locked into that necessarily. They could handle it differently for each color too, or I mean, each school. Yeah, I'm. I also would imagine it's um, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery. But you're right; we don't we don't know at the moment. Now we also got Kazmina, Enigma Sage. Kazmina was last seen in, on uh, Ravnica for the War of the Spark uh, super climax against Bolas, and. Maybe it's Ka- the story here is that Kazmina invited Liliana back to the plane to be a professor. Um, Kazmina is a one green blue right away. That's a scary casting cost for anybody that's played Magic for the last couple of years. But the card looks decidedly mediocre in most competitive circumstances. Each other planeswalker you control has the loyalty abilities of Kazmina Enigma Sage is the important text. And keep in mind that this comes on the back of the Teferi from last summer that can use his abilities on any person's turn, any player's turn, um, basically at instant speed. So Kazmina has plus two scry one, minus X, create a zero zero green and blue fractal creature token, put X plus one plus one counters on it, and then minus eight, search your library for an instant or sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker. Exile that card, then shuffle. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. So the neat thing here is that in a back to the Atraxa deck, uh, my main EDH deck, she's giving all the Planeswalkers a plus two that scries. So for instance, with Planeswalkers that uh, came out of Theros block last year, they only had negatives. So Elspeth could only go down, for instance. And so she was prevented from being busted by not having a plus. Giving her a plus two is nice and even nicer on things like Teferi and some other planeswalkers that want to get to their alt fast. Yeah, I um I, I, I don't think Kasmin is good. Obviously a three mono planeswalker that's green blue certainly tilts your eyebrow. Um I think the sharing of loyalty is pretty uh unimportant. In all but corner cases. In all but attracts it, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, like, theoretically, they could print some other Planeswalker at two to four mana where you end up with a very powerful synergy. Like you said, like, maybe one that only has negatives. Um, and so giving them a positive is a really big deal. But it seems... 
barring a situation like that i don't think i see why you'd care too much because it's each other planeswalker has the loyalty abilities of kazmina and kazminas aren't that great so like why do i care about giving like jace or teferi or anyone else these abilities like you care you care because giving a lot of planeswalkers plus twos matters right, right and like that's the extent of it and even then like how many planeswalkers really actually need that plus two so, for instance, Teferi Master of <laughs> Not many. So, for instance, Teferi Master of Time only has a plus one, a minus three, and a minus ten. His minus ten is take two extra turns after this one. He starts at three loyalty, and he can activate his abilities on any other player's turn. So, if you had Teferi yeah. Master of Time and Kazmina in play uh, under Atraxa with prol- proliferate at the end of your turn, you drop Teferi, you plus one him, he goes to four. At the end of turn, he goes to five. If Kazmina's in play on their turn, he goes to seven to nine and back on your turn, he ults. Uh sure, but I will reiterate, who cares? Where is this raining fall? Well, it's it's powerful in in context, but you have to be playing decks where that matters. So if you're not playing Super yeah. Friends, I fully agree that Kazmina is is very niche. Yeah, so it's just EDH. It's EDH. I mean, it's, it's that's pretty much the only place anyone's going to need this ability I, so far. I haven't seen. I, I haven't really paid that much attention to standard this year for obvious reasons. It's entirely possible there's a standard deck that develops with where Ka- there is a Super Friends deck and Kazmina makes it really nasty if you have the right mix of Planeswalkers and the right the right meta. Well, that's what I was saying, that there there is a, a circumstance, a scenario that Wizards builds where Kazmina is relevant. But, you know, I, I don't know if we've ever had a, a standard series of Planeswalkers where that would have been the case. And as far as EDH goes, given all the nonsense you can get away with in there, uh, giving your Teferi Master of Time a plus two instead of a plus one doesn't seem like it's likely to change the face of the game. Uh, too much. Even the Liliana here is effectively none of the text on this card matters other than the Magecraft. Um, it's not that she's a bad card, but like if you had shown me those abilities, I would have told you she costs five, not four. Uh, so you're paying, you're paying an extra mana for that Magecraft and the type of broken nonsense you can get away with it, which is fine. Um, it's not bad. It's just, I think that's the case here. It's also like the classic Planeswalker conundrum has always been like, if it doesn't defend itself, the turn it comes down on an empty board, then it's it's dubious and the best she can do on turn one is make a one one yeah yeah so uh it's a it's an interesting cards here um it, it'll I'm, I'm i'm curious what magecraft is going to look like and i think most people are too right like where where is what is the what does this look like at the end of things um because that's going to be where the juice is right now is is it always going to be instant sorceries and if it is uh you know what else are they going to do yep all right, we can probably call that a wrap for this evening. Well, I, I should, I, I'm, I'm compelled to at least mention very briefly that the Magic Leg- Legends, I believe that's what it's called, beta started today. That's the uh, Magic... Um, Diablo clone? A, a Diablo clone, yeah, which is a, a generous way to describe it, actually. Uh, the reviews... So out of my ARPG community, the reviews have been... a abysmal um the monetization is apparently pretty brutal you know i was i haven't gotten a chance to check out myself because my my mondays and tuesdays are really bad for playing games so i i haven't actually been into it yet but the uh 
Dan Fournier was saying that the way the monetization works is you have your, the way that they integrate the deck and the cards is that as you play, like you cast a fireball and that was using a card. So that card goes away and then you draw a new card to replace it. So your skills don't stay the same while you play. They're changing as you're going through your deck. Um, and in order to get more cards, more spells to add to your skills, you have to pay real money. Uh, and you might be able to unlock them through in-game currency. Uh, you usually can in games like this. But, you know, if you think that that's a pressure release valve, I would point you to EA's Star Wars Battlefront 2. Yeah. They had a similar monetization scheme. That they had to walk uh, which back. Which was... Whew, whew, I have never seen a game take as much flack as I have that. It was something like... I think that hours required to unlock everything in that game if you didn't pay a dime was like over 10,000 or some crazy number of hours. But and meanwhile, the total value, the total cost, if you were to buy all the unlocks in US dollars was like over $1,000 or something like that. Just this absolutely brutal monetization scheme. And it sounds like Magic Legends currently has, you know, I don't know if it's nearly as bad, but certainly a unpleasant monetization scheme and given you know the way they've handled everything else i wouldn't be surprised if that's the way it plays out uh so sounds like not great gameplay bad monetization scheme i don't have high hopes for this game and i what i found very amusing was andrew cuneo said uh i tried the alpha for this a couple you know when it was available however long ago he's like i did not play for long before i quit and went back to path of exile <laughs> okay so for anyone who is who is uh, interested, it sounds like that's a bit of a dud, which isn't surprising because it's a magic product on a computer. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But they've they've done this over and over, and and the issue is always the same. Hasbro will not commit the resources to go big time because yep. they don't believe in their own product. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can say that Arena was them committing. Like that's the biggest. Sure. I mean, it, it's it's I I don't know if I want to say it's the most successful but, but the, um, pr- platform because of the Duels of the Planeswalkers was actually huge, uh, but that was essentially the exception to the rule. So, but they haven't gone, they haven't doubled and tripled down on Arena either. Well, actually, that's not true. They they have made announcements that they're investing more on that side of things, so it's not a hundred percent clear to what extent they've doubled down. But if you measure their confidence by the pace of development for arena and it it doesn't express the confidence that i think that they should have embraced the problem with arena has always been and a lot of people don't realize this that the economics of arena are actually a lot worse than magic online that the arpu the average revenue per user is higher on mad in the magic online model because there's no like leeches like me who are in arena drafting all the time giving them zero money like i haven't spent a single dime on arena because i can chain drafts so they just don't get my money whereas in magic online if i want to play drafts i gotta buy tickets and used to be what 10 10 bucks 10 bucks a draft right and you tell they, me. they certainly got hundreds of my dollars doing that i mean i wasn't a huge a huge magic online person for very much of my magic career either but for the periods where i was you know, devoted to it, I certainly spent some money. And so to make arena worth it to go that route, you have to have a much higher scale. Like you have to have way more users 
so that the lower RPU RPU is justified by volume. And I suspect they've stalled out on arena growth. I would guess that the curve was real, real steep for a little while and has largely leveled off. And I, and like so many things with Magic, I don't know how they're going to get off that plateau. Uh, while we're here, I'm curious if you can uh, explain this to me, because I actually don't fully know how this works. Call Time comes out on Magic Arena. Uh, I want four specific mythics, like a playset of one specific mythic. I have to, I can either buy tons of booster packs until I crack four of that mythic. But I know that there's wild cards as well. How how do the wild cards work? Okay, so you get, you earn packs. You can also buy them, but let's say you're me. You earn packs by doing your daily challenges, which are things like, you earn gold and gems along the way, mostly gold, that you get from like attack 30 times or whatever which means you get a handful of packs a week as you're playing through. Now, if you're winning drafts, you're getting more packs. And then those packs have a small number of cards, not the same as a normal pack does. I think it's five or six or something. And a card in those packs can be a wild card, which can be a common, an uncommon, a rare, a mythic. And then you can trade those in for whatever card you need for to build a constructed deck. So wild cards let you choose the card of that rarity that you receive. That's correct. Okay. So what I what I usually use them for, I don't play Constructed on Arena. So I actually have plenty of wild cards. When we do the Magic uh, M- MTG Price draft tournaments for each set, uh, sorry, the sealed pool tournaments, I just figure out what I want my pool to be. I mean, I want my final deck to be out of that pool. And then I figure I draft like chain together five, six, seven drafts. And then usually I have enough cards from the set plus enough wild cards to build whatever deck I need to play the tourney. Okay, so you do you could do all your dailies and crap like that, and that will give you a handful of free packs, and those packs sometimes contain a wild card. But what if you need more than, you know, the, you didn't earn enough wild cards, and you didn't earn your four mythic wild cards uh, in the space of a week, which I'm presuming you don't. What are your options at that point? What are your options if you're trying to build a constructed deck and you don't have the wild cards? Yes. You got to go buy gems or whatever to unlock packs and then packs into wild cards. Uh, okay. So you, you, you're spending real money. Yeah, yeah you got to spend. Yeah. If you want to build, like, say, if you want to have the full gauntlet of standard decks and you're not a supreme drafter, like a supreme limited player that can easily unpack, unlock free gems and packs and chain everything together constantly, which is probably, I don't know. The people that are twice as good as me and beyond, right? Like the the pro tour grinder crowd and and above are in that position. Everybody else is eventually going to burn out. And if they wanted to build a bunch of different decks for constructed for historic and standard, then they're going to be short on wild cards regularly unless they put some money into the system. Okay, but you you can't buy wild cards though. No, but you buy you can buy packs. You buy gem, like big bundles of gems and packs, and then you can turn that into wild cards. Uh, well, you say turn those into wild cards. Can you? Are you guaranteed wild cards? You're going to get them at a certain drop rate in your packs. Now, the other thing that happens is if you get more, if you draft more than a certain number of a card, like if you have more than four of something, it turns it into a wild card of the equivalent rarity. Okay. 
So, like, how much on average does it cost to have four of the same mythic? I haven't done that math because it's not relevant to me. But there's probably a great article out there that we can look up and talk about on a future cast and dissect. Yeah. I was just curious because the topic came up. We were talking about... Um, I think we were. I think I think we were talking about Magic Legends, but there was something else going on too, and I, I wasn't terribly familiar with the arena monetization scheme. When I was asking questions. Like my my guess is that somebody that wants to play standard probably has to spend a couple hundred bucks a season, depending on how good they are. Right? Like if if they are good at constructed and stick with the same deck, it could be a lot less than that. They could be net positive pretty easily. But you have mm-hmm. to assume that the majority of people are not that person. I think we were talking about. Um, the, whether or not it's gambling because the, the topic came up with like uh, microtransactions with other stuff and um, guaranteed output outcomes and stuff like that and I was like I actually don't know if on arena it's guaranteed outcomes or if you're just stuck opening packs until you get the mythics you want which could be brutal if you open the wrong cards uh, interesting but I guess we can we can dive into that more down the road Um Maybe we can have an arena expert or something come on and explain it to us, perhaps. Maybe maybe Saffron. Saffron probably plays tons of arena. Or we can get... Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got to, right? It's his job. Yeah. We'll, we'll reach out to somebody in the community and see who's willing to come chat about arena economics. Okay. that uh, that Now we can wrap up this week. Uh, where can our listeners find you? You can James? find me on Twitter at MTGCritic as well as via my constant haunting of the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. And I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum full of group buys that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Probably worth flagging this week that we just raised our rates for the first time in a while, but they aren't updated on the main website yet. So this is probably your last week to get in at the $79.99 price point if you're interested in the group buys. The price points are going to stay the same if you don't care about group buys, but our group buys are driving so much value. Like I, I can, off the top of my head, think of five group buys in the last three months that cover 10 years worth of, group, of Pro Trader for the people involved. And so those prices are going up to $9.99 a month or $99.99 per year for... Pro Trader Plus, which will have include group buy access. So it oh interesting, you're splitting it. Basically, you charge more for the group buys. Hmm. I I mean, considering one good group buy pays for your year. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> kind of where we're headed with that. And right. we're we're investing significant capital in the new site this year, so good time to be doing a little bit of fundraising. Getting in the door. Um. Yeah, once again, uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc., 
coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I had to make sure it was coolstuffinc.com and not coolstuffinc.edu in case you were curious. That brings us to <laughs> the end of episode 264. Uh, a solid one as always. Um, I know we talked about having guests this week. Uh, there were some complications. Hopefully we will get to that in the future. I can't make any promises at the moment. Uh Join us next week. I believe we'll probably be digging into the Strixhaven spoilers a bit more. Um, I had a good time this evening, James, and I will see you next week. Strixhaven releases in three weeks. Uh, three weeks from what? This from week, right, right now. <laughs> comes out on a Wednesday. It's like Tuesday, the fifteenth of April. It said, I think. Uh, one, two. That would be a Thursday. So yeah, that is three weeks. So what are they just releasing the full spoiler like? We're in full spoiler. We're in full spoiler season, so we're gonna get spoilers every day for the next couple of weeks, and then they'll it'll be a week of pre-release. Yeah, they uh, just released Time Spot we'll Remastered. Have... That's gonna go down, and then we're gonna be a couple of weeks out, and then into pre uh, preview season for Modern Horizons two. <laughs> when did you say Modern Horizons two comes out? Was it June? It's uh, June, I believe. Yeah, it's Modern Horizons two release date is let me just double check june 11th june 11th so if we have strict saving spoilers for like uh the rest of this week all of next week so like a week and a half two weeks right up till it's released on the 15th in april then the set's out for two weeks It'll be like three weeks after Strixhaven's release at the Modern Horizons 2 spoilers start, probably. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That is a breakneck pace. Yep. <laughs> Remember when we had four releases a year? Yep. Although <laughs> And then it went to and then it went to like seven and people were like, This is too much. And now on a fifty two week calendar year, there's something like what, twenty products. Although Ben Blyway said uh, Star City made a good point on Twitter last week reminding people that in the first year and a half of magic there was eight releases uh yeah alpha beta unlimited revised fallen empires homelands etc etc all came i mean sorry legends the dark arabian nights antiquities all came on the heels of one another very quickly i mean you said year and a half it was eight products eight sets yeah i mean i guess but how big were those sets I don't know. I don't want to. I don't think it's fair to use the first three years of Magic as a basis for anything. <laughs> well, especially if you remember the glut of product during Chronicles and Ice Age, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>